Ladies and gentlemen, my title for us this morning is simply, Should Christians Study the Old Testament? Should Christians... haven't even started yet. <laughs> I'm super nervous. I haven't been in the pulpit two weeks. I feel like a newborn. And you guys are already answering my question. I haven't even finished the question. I'm just kidding. I know you know the answer, but this is going to come off more like a lecture than a sermon because it's preparing for us the ground of this study. It's important for you and I not only to know the answer, but to know why. And that's what we're going to be doing this morning, learning the reasons why Christians should study the Old Testament. The answer to the question, should Christians study the Old Testament? When most people think of the Old Testament, they think of a large collection of books that's difficult to understand, culturally unfamiliar, and very very long. What's more, aside from those who neglect reading and or learning from the Old Testament, there's also a faction that doesn't even believe the Old Testament holds the same value or authority as the New Testament does. This is such a common issue that Andy Stanley, who is the pastor of North Point Church in Georgia, a megachurch, a Southern Baptist church, recently wrote a book entitled Unhitched, in which he suggests the Christian church should unhitch itself from the Old Testament altogether. Of course, there's another faction that suggests the Old Testament is of lesser value than the New Testament because the stories of Jesus aren't recorded in it. And then there's the issue of judgment, war, and perceived negativity that is contained in the Old Testament over against the New Testament. Church, if we were to sit and talk through this thing, we would quickly find that the subject is more complicated than we might think. So my goal for us this morning is to both address and answer the question, should Christians study the Old Testament? In view of the fact that the next upcoming months, we're going to be studying the Old Testament by way of the prophet Amos. So, let's begin where it starts. Should Christians study the Old Testament? Yes, because, first of all, it is the Word of God. Should Christians study the Old Testament? Yes, because it is the Word of God. As often as, as, as we often do, excuse me, we refer to the Bible as the Holy Bible or as Scripture or as the Word of God. And there are numerous reasons why we do this. First, the Old Testament is the Word of God because God spoke it. Say that again. First of all, the Old Testament is the Word of God because God spoke it. It is His Word. It isn't a manufactured take on his word. It isn't our best guess. It isn't even our humanistic or philosophic take on it. No, the Bible, and this includes the Old Testament, amen, is the word of God because God, help me here, spoke it. Take a look, for example, at Amos chapter 1, the book that we're going to be studying for the next upcoming months. Looking at Amos chapter 1, follow with your eyes as I read, please, verse 3. What's it say? Thus says the Lord. Jump down to verse 6. 
Thus says the Lord. Jump down to verse 9. Thus says the Lord. And verse 11. Thus says the Lord. Jump down to verse 13. Thus says the Lord. Jump down to chapter 2, verse 1. Thus says the Lord. Church, we see here that with this formula, thus says the Lord, Amos and other prophets like him are saying, this is what the Lord told me to tell you. That's what this introductory formula is saying. In other words, I haven't conjured this up. This is what God told me to tell you. The word doesn't originate with the prophet. The word originates with God. This is precisely the fact that the apostle Peter is making when he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of whom? Man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter is saying that the Old Testament is the word of God because God spoke it to the prophets and the Holy Spirit protected, guided those prophets, which leads to the second issue I want to share. The Old Testament is the word of God, not only because he spoke it, but secondly, because he inspired it. The Old Testament is the word of God, not only because he spoke it, but also because he inspired it. This is a bit more theological. Sure, God spoke, and the prophets, for example, spoke and or wrote what he said. But he does that, excuse me, but how does that actually transfer from the prophets to the documents that we have today? In other words, what do we mean by the term inspiration? Well, inspiration is a word that is used generally in many different ways. When someone says that they are inspired, for example, it typically means that someone excited their creative juices, that they have had a, a stirring of their imagination or creativity or mind. But the definition of inspiration in Christian doctrine specifically is more strict. The Quran, for example was supposedly given to the prophet Muhammad by the angel Gabriel by dictation. The holy book or supposed holy book of the Latter-day Saints is the Book of Mormon. It was supposedly translated by Joseph Smith from tablets that were delivered to him by the angel Moroni. The tablets were never found because Joseph Smith apparently gave them back to the angel Moroni, a little insurance policy for a false prophet in my opinion. And in the Book of Mormon, the Nephi Indians are introduced and they play a focal point throughout the book. Interestingly enough, there is no historical evidence whatsoever for that Native American tribe. On the other hand, there is the Bible. And the Bible is the inspired word of God, and it's verifiable because the historical, geographical, 
evidences in the Bible can be proven to be accurate. Inspiration is the very thing that makes our scripture stand apart from every other so-called holy book. God so inspired the authors that they recorded his word, but also kept their own personalities in the text. Let me say that again. God so inspired the authors of the Bible that they recorded his word, and yet God did not override their personalities. A simple illustration of this would be a question. Would you rather read the Gospel of John or the book of Leviticus? The book of Leviticus is dry and kind of, you got to work your way through it, although you will gain appreciation for it after you read it. John is much easier, much faster, and much more enjoyable in most people's opinion. Why? Because while both books are inspired by God, Moses writes like Moses and John writes like John. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. How much Scripture? All Scripture. One more time. How much Scripture? All Scripture. And that word, pasa, P-A-S-A in Greek, it means the complete, full-orbed aspect of Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, all Scripture is breathed out by God. That is what we mean by inspiration. So when we talk about the Bible, the Old Testament, of course, but when we talk about the Bible, it in the end looks like this. There's a chart that's going to come up. We have 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, and this is what constitutes our Bible, 66 books in total. But you might find it interesting to learn that the books of the Bible are not put in a chronological order. The books are not necessarily contained in the order in which they were written. They are put together instead by genre or style. So the books of the Bible begin with the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then the next portion or style of the Old Testament is the history books, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, etc. After that we have the writings, sometimes called the wisdom books or the poetry, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And then we have the prophets. We call them major and minor prophets because the major prophets were very long-winded and the minor prophets were not. They weren't short in stature or young. They just didn't write books that were as long as the major prophets, so we call them minor. Then in the New Testament, it begins with the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then the history book that is in the New Testament is the book of Acts. The history of the church's development after the ascension of Christ. And then we have the epistles or the letters. And then we have them broken up as well. The first 
group is to particular churches. For example, last week your homework was to read the book of Philippians. That is a letter that was written to the church at Philippi. It is a specific letter for a specific church. But the other letters are general. We call them general epistles or general letters. They're written to Christians at large. And then finally we have the book of Revelation. Every new Christian's favorite book. (laughs) So the Bible is sometimes intimidating or overwhelming because when we refer to the Bible, we're not actually talking about one book. We're actually talking about a compilation of 66 books divided into the Old Testament and New Testament, which are arranged not according to chronology, but according to style or genre. So hopefully that will be a little bit uh, clarifying for you as you read your Bible and we continue to go through this Old Testament study of the book of Amos because there will be a lot of referencing and cross-referencing Excuse me, as we go through. So first point this morning, should we study the Old Testament? The answer is yes, because it is the Word of God. And this is the final state of the Word of God. This is our Bible. Should Christians study the Old Testament? Yes, secondly, because it contains the original promises. If the fact that the Old Testament is the inspired Word of God doesn't encourage you to explore it and familiarize yourself with it, to read it with an open heart and mind, looking for a blessing from God the Holy Spirit, then I hope that this point will encourage you to do so. The Old Testament is the book that holds the original promises. Man, we Gentiles overlook this. The Old Testament contains the promises on which our faith is established. In his excellent book, Toward Rediscovering the Old Testament, One well-known Old Testament scholar writes that there is a focal point in the Bible. And that focal point is what he calls the word promise. Promise, he says, is the focal point that goes throughout the entire Bible. You know what a promise is. A promise is a covenant or a pact, a vow, if you will. A guarantee that a thing will be done. I'm going to give you some illustrations of this very point. Think about it, church. God's promise to humanity through Adam in Genesis 3. How about God's promise to Noah in Genesis 6 through 9? How about God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in Genesis 12 through 50, really. How about God's promise to Moses in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? You should be writing this down. How about God's promise to David and Solomon and Samuel and kings? How about the messianic promises about Jesus that are found in the prophets? How about the promise to Jeremiah, the very description of what we call the new covenant in Jeremiah 31? Church, say amen if you're listening. Neglecting the Old Testament is like 
reading only the last chapter of a book. It's like watching only the last 10 minutes of a movie or like catching only the tail end of a conversation, but judging the entire movie, the entire book, or the entire conversation only on that portion you got. You see, when John the Baptist says of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. In John 1.29, it only makes sense in view of the promise to Moses in Exodus 12. When Jesus is called the Son of David in Matthew chapter 1, it only makes sense in view of Samuel chapter 7. When Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 7, Know then that it is those of faith who are the children of Abraham. It only makes sense in view of Genesis 15. Friends, I venture to say that a lot of us know what are our rewards, but we don't know why. We don't know where those rewards are flowing from. Let me tell you, say amen if you're listening. The rewards available to us in Christ are available because God keeps his promises. And if we don't know the Old Testament, how can we know that? How can we appreciate what John the Baptist says? This is the lamb that takes away the sin of the world if we don't know the promise in Exodus 12. That Jesus is the King of Kings. If we've never read 2 Samuel chapter 7, how can we appreciate the value of Paul's declaration? If you're a person of faith, doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. If you're a person of faith, you're a child of Abraham. Because Abraham was justified by faith. Where does it say that? Genesis. Before the law came, Abraham was justified by faith. Now, many of you are saying, well, if I'm good enough, I will go to heaven. And Paul says, wrong. By the law shall no one be justified, since it is evident that justification comes by faith alone. Romans chapter 3, verse 28. It is not by the law you are justified. It is by the law that you learn you are a sinner. Abraham was justified by faith before the law, which he preceded by 430 years. So when you read and hear that you are justified by faith apart from the works of the law, know and understand, church, that that is true because of God's original promise. And God always are you hearing me? God always keeps his promise. Why do we study the Old Testament? Because in it are found the original promises. And may he be praised for that forever and evermore. Amen? But also, we study the Old Testament because it is the Bible of Jesus and the Apostles. The Old Testament was the Bible of Jesus and the apostles. Now, I'm going to invite you to leave Amos. 
and turn to the New Testament, the first book of the New Testament, which is the Gospel of Matthew. And I want you to see chapter 5. Now, if you're using your phone, that's perfectly fine. If you have a hard copy of your own Bible in front of you, don't get lazy on me. I want you to see it on your page of your Bible with your eyes. This is important. Now, if I rattle off verses and I'm going too fast for you to turn and take notes, jot a note, go back to it. Sometimes I slow down because I want you to see it in your Bible. This is important. Say amen if you're ready. Jesus was adamant about the use of the Old Testament. He did not do away with the Old Testament. On the contrary, he emphasized the Old Testament as being fulfilled in his work. You ready? Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Do not think. Okay, stop right there. It's interesting how often we are called to use our brains in the Bible. Christians are not called to this sort of spiritual naivety. This meditation where our brain is put into neutral and we open ourselves to the spirit world. That's danger. That's not biblical. In the Bible, meditation includes the mind. God expects you to think. But here, Jesus says, do not think. But listen to what he says. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. That phrase, the law of the prophets, is like a reference to the Old Testament. When they would say the law and the prophets, they were referring to the whole heap of Old Testament. They're just, just a general reference. Don't think that I've come to abolish the Old Testament, Jesus says. I have not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. In other words, we're not allowed to excuse ourselves from the Old Testament like Andy Stanley has suggested. We are not allowed to excuse ourselves because it's a little more work than the New Testament. We don't trip onto a verse like Philippians 4.6. Pray without ceasing, and the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Ooh, that makes me feel warm inside. A, maybe a little more than Leviticus 16, as Tom referenced last week, the Day of Atonement. Maybe, maybe it's a little more work in the Old Testament, but Philippians is not less of the Word of God than Leviticus is. Leviticus and Philippians are equally the Word of God and therefore our responsibility to work through. And Jesus is saying, I'm not dismissing you from the Old Testament. The Old Testament is not being dismissed. It's being fulfilled. It's being fulfilled. It carries on. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it's all accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Because I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never 
enter the kingdom of God. By the way, this phrase, the righteousness of the Pharisees, is sort of a tongue-in-cheek reference to the fact that they're not righteous at all. Some of you are going, how can I be more righteous than that? No, 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 no. Get back to Genesis 15. Get back to Galatians chapter 3. By the works of the law, no one shall be justified. Right? We are justified by what? Faith. Jump over to the Gospel of John. John chapter 5. Jesus is having a debate with these Pharisees who, again, are skilled and able in the Old Testament, but they miss the point of the Bible. They miss the point of the Old Testament. Beginning in verse 39 of John chapter 5. Ready? You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. If I memorize enough verses, of course I'll go to heaven. If I know the law well enough, of course I'll go to heaven. You search the Scriptures, Jesus says, because you think in them you'll find eternal life, and it is they that bear witness of whom? Of me. In other words, the Bible is not the thing that saves us. The Bible is the thing that points to the man who saves us. So we should know Scripture, not because it saves, but because it directs us to the Savior. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. Verse 43, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you receive him. This is In the Greek it says, you're a bunch of punks. That's what Jesus is saying here. You receive a hypocrite, but you won't receive someone who's genuine and authentic. How can you believe, verse 44, when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes only from God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. His name is Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Now listen, this is, this is debate 101, okay? Jesus addresses the very thing that they lean on and then says, it's interesting you say you rely on the Scripture. Let me talk to you about the Scripture for a minute. You think the Scripture is going to save you, but actually the Scripture testifies of me. Oh, 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 you don't, you don't like it. Let me, let me get more telescopic for you. You love Moses, don't you? You're always quoting Moses and the law, aren't you? Yes, Moses, of course, we come from Moses. Let me tell you something about Moses. Look at what he says. Verse 46, if you believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how are you going to believe my words? Do you see the attachment between the authority of Moses and his words, writings, and Jesus' authority in his words? 
he has no equivocation, no doubt, no hesitancy to say, you think Moses is an authority? Yeah, so am I. He just put his words on level with authority of the word of God. And this is to say nothing of the text that reminds us of the positivity and the encouragement that we can receive by spending time learning about our gracious and sovereign God and the way he has revealed himself to us in the Old Testament. You see, Jesus did not hesitate to use the Old Testament because it was his Bible. But then later, when the apostles wrote, they give us the same positive encouragement. Let me share a few verses with you, three in particular, beginning with Romans 15.4. Romans 15.4. I'll give you a second to get there. You might want to highlight it. And we'll uh, give each other a second to look at each other like, did you see the lights blink? Did you see the lights blink? I think I saw the lights blink. Focus. It's a test. We're almost done. Romans 15, 4. You got to get this verse, one of my favorites. Beautiful verse. Romans 15, 4. If you were in John, just turn. Acts, Romans. Whatever was written in former days, that's a reference to the Old Testament. Paul says, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. So that through endurance and through the encouragement of those scriptures, we might have hope. Is that beautiful? Paul is saying, if you neglect the Old Testament... You are neglecting hope because those scriptures were written to encourage you. Let me give you an example. Say amen if you want an example of hope. The Lord is my refuge and help, an ever-present help in days of trouble. Psalm 46, 1. How about, how about Psalm 23, 1? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want... There are so many encouraging scriptures in the Old Testament that you're familiar with. You might not even know that they come from there, but they're planted there by God an inspiration for your hope. And we neglect them to our own peril. How about 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6? Just turn from Romans to 1 Corinthians. Forward. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6. First Corinthians 10, verse 6 says, Now these things, and that's a reference to the events that are recorded in the Old Testament. Paul says, Now these things... These things recorded in the Old Testament. They took place as examples for, for us. That word example in the Greek is the word typos. It's literally the word that we get type from. So if you're sitting at your Mac and you, and you press, because we don't use PCs, Chris. If you're sitting at your Mac and you press J, guess what comes up on the screen? Oh, help me out. This is not that complicated. <laughs> 
If you press J, if you type J, guess what comes up on the screen? A J. Because this is a type. The picture that you're seeing on the keyboard, the picture of the letter that you see on the keyboard, you type it and it appears. And Paul is saying, and we're we're pulling from this word now, Paul is saying those things that happened were like a type, an example of what was going to be fulfilled. These things, those things that happened in the Old Testament, they were examples for us so that we might not desire evil like they did. Say amen. Amen. Oh, we go through the Old Testament, we say them Jews were some bad Jews. If I had prophets like Amos, I would have never been as ungodly as them. False. There are none righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God, Paul says. And that's a quote from the Old Testament. You see, it isn't that the Jews were especially bad and therefore had judgment. It was that the Jews were bad and had judgment because they were God's people. And the judgment of God always starts in the house of God. And that should be a fearful thing for every one of us that claim to be, as Paul calls the church, in the household of faith. He's your father, but he's your God. Don't underestimate the holiness of your father. These examples were placed before us so that we would learn we should not be ungodly like them. Not because we aren't, but beloved, because we are. And let us learn from those examples that we should not be faithless, that we should not fail to endure in temptation and in trial, because God will keep his promise. Last reference, Hebrews chapter 1. Man, do I love the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is replete with Old Testament references, shoring up the argument that Jesus is the Son of God. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I'll give you a second to get there. Fewer pages turning this time. Almost done. Here we go. Stay with me. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he created the world. What a beautiful verse. Long ago, At many times and in various ways, God spoke to us by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, who he has made heir of all things, and through whom he created the world. Friends, we get in the New Testament a testimony of the importance and validity of the Old Testament. Why? Because it is the word that God spoke. 
It is the word that God inspired. And it is the word that Jesus and the apostles affirmed. Amen? Friends, when most people think about the Old Testament, they think about a daunting task, and rightly so. Let's not think that after this 40, 45-minute message that we go, oh yeah, you know what, now that we've gone through this lecture, I'm reminded the Old Testament really is easy. No, there's some pretty difficult parts in the Old Testament. It's a daunting task, but we've learned today that while the Old Testament is challenging, amen, it is also rewarding. While it's long, it is also worth your time. And while it's culturally unfamiliar, it contains very familiar blessings. I will be your God, and you will be my people. 